I dreamed of traveling the long road, singing my songs to that distant stranger. Yes, I know it's sad for you, but it's something I got to do. And I will be coming home, back to the mountains, back to being free from all there is to be. Coming home to live and the life I once knew. Hello, everyone. And welcome to Bedtime Bible Boys with Brock, Trey, and Theron TJ. Thanks Thanks for for listening. We love you, Mom. And you too, Gail. got to the very end of Second Kings chapter 2 last night, and we stopped at verse 23 because we really liked that symbolism and the picture of Christ in Elisha's blessing of the water of Jericho. And so we're going to pick up here in verse 23, that'll take us through the end of the chapter pretty quickly, and we'll just continue right on into chapter 3. You know the chapters of the Bible are... Um, ran, kind of random uh, they weren't written in the original like in the original text of the Bible it wasn't like they said chapter 1, chapter 2 they just kept writing but so that way we could split it up into sections that make sense to us and we could easily find things somebody at some point in time split it up into chapters yeah right. so before it was all just a bunch of words and no chapters and all that Uh huh. but here's verse 23 From there, Elisha went up to Bethel. As he was walking along the road, some youths came out of the town and jeered at him. Go on, you bald head, they said. Go on up, bald head. (laughs) Keep calling him bald head. That's not even his name. They were saying that to who? To Elisha. He was probably bald. Yeah, exactly. But I wouldn't say that to someone. Imagine they're bald. Yeah, just... Imagine they're just saying bald, they're bald head and they're just being and then they have bald hair. Well, that is actually a good point <laughs> yeah. because we talk about the reason. And as you said, um, people only try to hurt other people's feelings because something hurts inside them. That's right. That's the main. So, in this case, the kids probably don't have a bald head. But... Maybe they're insecure about their identity. Maybe they're insecure about their own manliness because they're young men and so they're just trying to like get acquainted with their identity as a man because going from being a boy to being a man is a big step. Yeah. You know? And maybe they're insecure about it. Maybe they don't have a father that's uh, helping identify who they are and the fact that uh, they're set apart and they're valuable and they're lovable. Uh, nobody knows, but what we do know is that you're right. That's the reason why people hurt other people is because they're hurting about something. And these boys may not have been bald, but they were insecure about something. I can almost guarantee it. He turned around and looked at them and called down a curse on them in the name of the Lord. Then two bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the youths. 
and he went on to Mount Carmel, and from there returned to Samaria. That's a lot of youths. I thought there was only like three. Did Elisha, was he the one who really brought the bears? No. No. The Lord. Yeah, that's right. He called the curse, right? The Lord sent the bears. Did Sorry, go ahead. Um, God had all the power to say no to that, but... That's right. He decided that he'll send the bears, basically. Right. The Lord ultimately does what the Lord will do. And uh, this is, you know, that's hard on those boys. But I'll just tell you this. When somebody's doing the Lord's work, it's clearly they're doing the Lord's work. They're living his life. Don't mock them. Walk with them. Help them. Support them. Encourage them. Don't mock them. Other people are trying to receive Christ. Other people have a chance at being spending eternity in heaven. Why are you going to be a stumbling block? Why are you going to hurt somebody who's trying to give the message of the Lord? You don't want to do that. We shouldn't be mean to anybody, but we especially shouldn't be mean to people who are trying to live for Christ. Does that make sense? Chapter 3. Jerom, son of Ahab, became king of Israel in Samaria in the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. I bet he was a bad king. We're going to figure out. And he reigned 12 years. My guess, for sure, is that you're right. Because he only reigned for 12 years. Yeah, kings have reigned well. Usually you see that the good kings kind of last a little longer. Verse 2. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, but not as his father and mother had done. He got rid of the sacred stone of Baal that his father had made. Nevertheless, he clung to the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which he had caused Israel to commit. He did not turn away from them. Now Mesha, king of Moab, raised sheep, and he had to supply the king of Israel with a hundred thousand lambs and with the wool of a hundred thousand rams. But after Ahab died, the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. So at that time, King Jerom sent out from Samaria and mobilized all Israel. He also sent this message to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. The king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go with me to fight against Moab? I will go with you, he replied. I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. By what route shall we attack? He asked. What did the king say last time? He said almost that exact same sentence, but then after it, he told the king of Israel to do what? Seek the counsel of the Lord. That's right. That's right. Seek the counsel of the Lord. In this case, he doesn't. I don't know if they're going to be victorious or not, but I really don't like the fact that they're not doing what they did last time, which was seeking the Lord's counsel. Mm Mm-hmm. Through the desert of Edom, he answered. So the king of Israel set out with the king of Judah and the king of Edom. After a roundabout march of seven days, the army had no more water for themselves or for the animals with them. What? exclaimed the king of Israel. Has the Lord called us three kings together only to hand us over to Moab? Well, first off, it's not apparent to me that the Lord called any of them together. They didn't ask him. They didn't consult him. This is such a human thing to do, to get to do our own life, live life our own way, don't do what God says, eat the things we want to eat, 
do the things with our body we want to do, make any mistake we want to make, totally live at times for the flesh, and then we want to turn around and tell God you're not protecting me, we're in the middle of a hard circumstance. It's you're like, basically testing him. It. Yeah, you're that's right. You're basically testing him. You're both right. Yeah, you're basically <laughs> testing him, which it says don't test the Lord thy God. And also, it's your, yeah, like Trey said, it's your fault. Like you put yourself in that situation. It's almost like if you're going after sin, it's like sin becomes like a drug in your life. That's right. One that you get addicted to over time. That's right. And when you do it for some amount of time, um, what do you expect? What do you expect to be the fruit of your life? What, what can, why, how can you possibly expect that the Lord is going to start treating like a robot and not allow you to make free decisions and freely experience the consequence of your decisions? It's a little bit crazy, you know? But it's a very common thing. But Jehoshaphat asked, Is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord through him? An officer of the king of Israel answered, Elisha, son of Shaphat, is here. He used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. Jehoshaphat said, The word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. Elisha said to the king of Israel, what do we have to do with each other? Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother? No, the king of Israel answered, because it was the Lord who called us three kings to hand us over to Moab. Elisha said, As surely as the Lord Almighty lives whom I serve, if I did not have respect for the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not look at you or even notice you. But now, bring me a harpist wants to worship the Lord. While the harpist was playing, the hand of the Lord came upon Elisha, and he said, This is what the Lord says. Make this valley full of ditches, for this is what the Lord says. You will see neither wind nor rain, yet this valley will be filled with water, and you, your cattle, and your other animals will drink. Verse 18. This is an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord. Whew. He will, hand, he will also hand over Moab to you. Notice what he's saying. You're going to see this valley filled with water, and you're not even going to see rain come from the sky. And you're going to be like, oh my God, what is happening? This is a miracle. And you know what God has to say? This is an easy thing for me. Understand the kind of power we're talking about? It's unreal. We look at they were like, God, this is so incredible, this power, this his majesty, all the things that his word says he does he, he has done. And God's like, This is an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord. He will also hand Moab over to you. You will overthrow every fortified city and every major town. You will cut down every good tree, stop up all the springs, and ruin every good field with stones. The next morning, about the time for offering the sacrifice, there it was, water flowing from the direction of Edom, and the land was filled with water. Now all the Moabites had heard that the kings had come to fight against them, so every man, young and old, who could bear arms was called up and stationed on the border. 
When they got up early in the morning, the sun was shining on the water. To the Moabites across the way, the water looked red, like blood. That's blood, they said. Those kings must have fought and slaughtered each other. Now, to the plunder, Moab! But when the Moabites came to the camp of Israel, the Israelites rose up and fought them until they fled. And the Israelites invaded the land and slaughtered the Moabites. They destroyed the towns, and each man threw a stone on every good field until it was covered. They stopped up all the springs and cut down every good tree. At least they're doing what the Lord said. Only Ker Hereseth was left with its stones in place, but men armed with slings surrounded it and attacked it as well. When the king of Moab saw that the battle had gone against him, he took with him seven hundred swordsmen to break through to the king of Edom, but they failed. Then he took his firstborn son, who was to succeed him as king, and offered him as a sacrifice on the city wall. You're not supposed to sacrifice people. Ever. That's just period. He was trying a last-ditch effort to appeal to a god that didn't exist. Maybe just plead. Like, just like, hey, I understand you kings are going to kill me. I totally understand that. But please spare my son. Maybe they would, maybe they wouldn't. I don't know. But I, I think that would be the posture to take is say, I'm sorry, I've offended you and I've offended your gods. The fury against Israel was great. They withdrew, they withdrew and returned to their own land. And that is the end of chapter three. Key points. Support the people that you know that are leading a life with Christ. Sometimes standing up for Christ in this world is unpopular. Oftentimes it's unpopular. And I fear it's going to get more unpopular. But don't join in with the crowd and insult people who are trying to live a life for Christ. Instead, let them inspire you. Help them. Anything you could gain on this earth is temporary. But those treasures which you store up in heaven are eternal. The second thing is understand that this life is full of pain. It's a fallen world. And we could blame Adam if we wanted to, but the truth is, we we make a lot of sins ourselves. We decide to do a lot of things that aren't good for us. We decide to live our own way. Not all the time, but sometimes. Right? Mm-hmm. We can't blame God for the things that come that are difficult in our life. In this case, the Lord delivered him. He just chose to. Right? And it was easy for him. When it's not his choice to deliver us we can't blame him for that we have no idea what he's thinking he is god we are not right mm-hmm. if we're upset about the situation we're in we should put a hundred percent of our focus on the person who got us there and ultimately i'm going to say 99.9 percent of the time that's ourselves right there may be a very thin razor piece of life that happens to you that it, it completely happens to you it's nothing you could have done to avoid it you did nothing wrong you you contributed to it in no way and something bad happened to you that does happen i get that that's other people you just got to let that be what it is other people will hurt you it's going to happen sometimes 99 percent of the time though there's going to be something some decisions you've made in your life situations you've put yourself in things you failed to do things you did that you shouldn't have done that have set you up 
for a lot of what you're receiving in this life. You know, we don't we can't blame God. The Lord has given us all things pertaining to godliness, all things pertaining to righteousness through Christ. He has offered us forgiveness of sins. He has given us his body and his blood to make way for both our physical and spiritual wholeness. And he's given us the spirit to live inside of us and be our helper. And he has brought into us that spiritual life that now we are saved and going to heaven. He owes us nothing more. Yet he still has blessed us tremendously. But understand that he doesn't owe us anything. So when you're in your situation, I think it would be better to humble yourself before the Lord rather than to bark at him with complaints. Make sense? Yes. I love you, boys. I love you, too. You guys are good kids. Mm-hmm.